Father, indeed there isn't. There is none like our God, a God who is so illimitable in his grace and mercy, uh, the depths of whose love we cannot plumb. Father, um, it turns out that this gospel that we are privileged to preach is far better than we ever dreamed it was. It is a gospel that is rich, rich, rich in its portrayal of forgiveness having been bought for us by a crucified Christ. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that your people might bask, that we might find ourselves enjoying being loved, that what would come out of our hearts is indeed a sacrifice of thanksgiving, a sacrifice of joy as we reflect upon who we are, not what we've done, but who we are and the promises that affirm our position in Christ. We are accepted in the Beloved. And there is only one Beloved, Christ Jesus the Lord, whose death and sufferings we will celebrate later. But for now, will God accept our praise, our thanksgiving, our joy. Lord, uh, we must pray for our nation. She is in a constitutional crisis. But a crisis bigger than that is that she's spiritually lost. She has no compass by which to direct herself except the whims and the, and the carnalities of man, a group of lobbyists who seek to influence. But, oh God, there is very little in this nation of a thus saith the Lord being the final word. And I pray, oh God, that you will um, give us the man that, that you have chosen. We care not who that is. But, Lord God, we want a righteous nation. And give us the man that will lead us onto a path of righteousness. And now, Father, accept our gifts. They are small tokens of our love and affection for you and our trust that our financial future is better off in your hands than it is in ours. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mesopotamia and the children of Israel served Cushan Rishathaim eight years. When the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel who delivered them. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord delivered Cushan Rishathaim king of Mesopotamia into his hand and his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathaim so the land had rest for 40 years then Othniel the son of Kenaz died and the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord so the Lord strengthened Eglon king of Moab against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord then he gathered to himself the people of Ammon and Amalek went and defeated Israel and took possession of the city of Palms which is Jericho so the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. But the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. The Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, the son of Gerah the Benjamite, a left-handed man. By him, the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Ehud made himself a dagger. It was a double-edged and a cubit in length and fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh. So he brought the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. And when he had finished 
presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who had carried the tribute, but he himself turned back from the stone images that were at Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. He said, Keep silence. And all who attended him went out from him. So Ehud came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in his cool private chamber. Then Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. So he arose from his seat. Then Ehud reached with his left hand, took the dagger from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. Even the hilt went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not draw the dagger out of his belly, and his entrails came out. Then Ehud went out through the porch and shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. When he had gone out, Eglon's servants came to look, and to their surprise, the doors of the upper room were locked. So they said, he is probably attending to his needs in the cool chamber. So they waited until they were embarrassed, and still he had not opened the doors of the upper room. Therefore, they took the key and opened them. And there was their master, fallen dead on the floor. But Ehud had escaped while they delayed, and passed beyond the stone images, and escaped to Syrah. And it happened when he arrived that he blew the trumpet in the mountains of Ephraim and the children of Israel went down with him from the mountains and he led them. And he said to them, follow me, for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hands. So they went down after him, seized the fords of the Jordan, leading to Moab, and did not allow anyone to cross over. And at that time they killed about 10,000 men of Moab, all stout men of valor. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel. And the land had rest for 80 years. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad. He also delivered Israel. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. You know, the length of my text might deserve a, a little bit of an explanation. I don't normally preach on that many verses, and uh, I have to be very honest as to why I chose to do so. Uh, I've put all three of these stories together, uh, really because I was having a little bit of problem with Shamgar. Um, I didn't know how to construct an entire sermon around a text that offered me very little more than an ox goad, um, and not to make light of that text at all, but there are some one verses. Uh, one verse text in the scriptures that you could preach upon for weeks. Uh, Romans 8:28 is a is a great example, but I didn't know that I could do that uh, over um, verse 31. So, and then I lo started looking at the other two stories about Othniel and Ehud, and if you separated either one of those from the other uh, Shamgar story, you um, ended up repeating yourself. So I decided to lump them all three together, and uh, so there, ma'am is the facts, and uh, we turn now to the text. Uh, it, my sermon does break down rather easily into three parts, Othniel, Ehud, and Shamgar. Um, you might want to guess where we'll spend most of our time, but um, here's the point, what, what I would call the proposition, the truth that arises from all three of these stories that you must not miss um, as you get bogged down in entrails. Um, here's the, here's the storyline, I think. Um, you see, ladies and gentlemen, when God goes to war, 
he usually chooses the most unlikely soldiers and puts places in their hands the most unusual weapons and accomplishes through them the most unusual, unpredictable results. God chooses to go to war, and when he does, he selects out of the ordinary, places into their hands, something out of the ordinary, and accomplishes something that we never could have predicted. Um, just like Shamgar, um, you know, we don't even know who Shamgar was. We're not even sure whether he was a Jew or not. In fact, his, his name is not very Jewish. But he uses a, an ox goad, something similar to a cattle prod. He uses an ox goad, which is not what you would call a hardly a sophisticated piece of weaponry. But none of that matters to God. Because you see, when God goes to war, he chooses some very unlikely soldiers and places in their hands some very unusual weapons and accomplishes some very extraordinary results. Now, that's all I had to say about point three. <laughs> Shamgar is finished. But now we go to point two, which is the story about Othniel. And I want you to focus there on not so much Othniel, the unusual deliverer, but on the unusual equipment that he's given. You know, we could spend a lot of time on who Othniel was and what was his relationship to Caleb, etc. But the, the instructional part of the text, I think, is really found in verse 10, where you find, really for the first time, but you're going to see it a whole lot more as we continue the book of Judges, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Now, ladies and gentlemen, had not the Spirit of the Lord come upon him, Israel would still be groaning. This is the first mention in the book of Judges of the empowerment, the unusual, the supernatural empowerment that these judges enjoyed in the midst of their, uh, in the midst of their ministries. Guys, no deliverance is ever going to be accomplished for any of us that doesn't originate, come from God. He's the one who is doing it. And, and when God chooses, he uses some very unusual people and he places into their hands a most extraordinary weapon. The Spirit of God comes upon him. And, and clothed with the might and presence of the Holy Spirit, oh, my friends, God indeed accomplishes great things, as he did through Othniel. I want you to see one more little lesson, I think, from, from that story. It has to do with the enemy. Um, you might not know where Mesopotamia was located, but it was far, far, far north of Israel. And it's almost as if God finds an enemy, he, he brings about an enemy out of nowhere to um, afflict and oppress his children. The enemy is so unexpected, so unknown, 
But that's the way God operates too. Some of the things, you know, I, I, I think of our nation right now. And who would have thought that an election would grind this nation to a halt? Who would have thought that? Who would have thought that I'd be standing here on November the 12th and we still don't have a president elect? I mean, what a strange twist of events. And I'm not a prophet of doom, but, you know, there are people predicting civil war. I, I, I certainly don't think we'll get to that, hopefully. But, ladies and gentlemen, who would have ever dreamed that that enemy could, could come from there? Who would have ever dreamed that? All of us were prepared to stay up till 2. Some of us were prepared to stay up till 10. But we would have never dreamed that when we got up the next morning, we wouldn't have had a, a, a president-elect. But we do, because God raises up some strange enemies, even from lands that are the most pagan, and, and comes to dominate his people. I, I, the lesson that I wanted you to see is really something that's contained in Psalm 22. Don't look. Let me just read you these two verses out of Psalm 22. And you must not miss this lesson in Psalm 22 out of Judges chapter 3. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over America. No, ladies and gentlemen, he rules over the nations, all of them. And so he brings this nation that nobody has ever heard much about and raises them up and brings them on down. Because God rules in all the nations, even the ones that we don't like. He is, he is in sovereign control of those nations as well as, well, I was about to say America, but, uh, you know, you just wonder. Uh, I, I'm certainly, he's sovereignly in control, but we certainly don't recognize that, do they? Um, you know, you once, you see once again um, a God who is moved by the cryings and the sufferings of his people in the story of Othniel. The very same people who were moved more by their discomforts than they are their own depravity. Um, and what you find is a God who is so abundant in loving kindness and mercy, extending a hand of relief and deliverance to people who had absolutely no smidgen of merit to require it or even ask for it. But get it, nonetheless. Now let's move to the story about Ehud. It's a fascinating story, but it is a story that has uh, prompted all kinds of criticism. You know, people who are looking for problems in the Bible, um, they'll go to a lot of extremes to find one. And this one has caused some commentarians to apologize. It has caused other commentarians to dismiss it out of hand. That is to, oh, that can never be part of that. And uh, you do see the problem, don't you? Um, this is one of those apparently R-rated portions of the Old Testament. And... Uh, which has caused a lot of embarrassment uh, among those who comment. The problem is that people are so shocked to have all this blood and gore kind of oozing out of the pages of God's holy word. Now, um, we don't mind very much the story of David and Goliath. That was kind of neat and clean, and you know, even though a body was separated from its head. 
but we um, we kind of that's a nice one because it works really well in Sunday school. And um, but this story about Ehud, bah, uh, this is just a little much, you know. Um, Ehud seems to me nothing more than a vicious scheming assassin as he performs his work of deliverance. Well, let me try to explain to you at least partially why I'm not offended by this story, and and I'm certainly not the rule, but I just want you to know why I'm not offended. And it really comes from verse 15. If you look at verse 15 with me again, where we find these words, but when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, here the words are, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them. This fellow Ehud, which is certainly unusual candidate, we don't know much more about him than that this story. But the point in which we must find comfort, I think, is the Lord raised him up. And, ladies and gentlemen, you will notice that it doesn't say that the Lord raised up a you know a wicked murderer to go perform. He doesn't raise up an assassin. He raises up a deliverer, which is a Hebrew word that very clearly could be translated Savior. Whether you like Ehud or not, and whether his actions appeal to your sensibilities, refined and sophisticated as they are, the text says that the Lord God raised him up to be a Savior. And you see, I think when you approach the Scriptures trying to find some kind of error, you say, well, how did God get himself mixed up with a criminal like Ehud? That's not the focus of this story, ladies and gentlemen. The focus of the story has nothing to do with Ehud's disqualifications. The focus of the story, ladies and gentlemen, is, wow, do you see how God delights to save his people from their troubles and their difficulties and the extremes to which he will go to do so? Ladies and gentlemen, that's a message that a lot of us really love to hear. A lot of us who are very aware of how sinful we are, we delight in hearing. Look at the extremes to which a God of mercy and grace will go to deliver somebody like me. That's the focus of the story, not the entrails that might tickle your fancy. I'm not saying that he was not unusual. Actually, I'm saying exactly that. He is very unusual. He is um, unpredictable. And not only that, he was left-handed. Left-handedness, ladies and gentlemen, was considered in that culture a physical defect. And he was a son of Benjamin, uh, the term Benjamin, which means son of my right hand and it's very possible that his neighbors considered him having a physical handicap he may have had one but folks do you see how that physical handicap becomes usable in the hands of God and how critical it was to the whole process you see guys when um, uh, in in your, your normal sword hand was the right one and uh, when you extended a right hand weaponless um, it was a you, you didn't take note too much of what was going on with the left because the right hand 
was the battle hand, you know? And so when that's empty and you're out wanting to whisper into somebody's ear and whatever he's doing, then the actions of the left hand reaching over to the right thigh are not noticed. This is a piece of genius, ladies and gentlemen. Not a piece of gore. It's a piece of divine genius as he takes a very unusual man and puts in his hand a very unusual weapon and accomplishes the most extraordinary results. And, and he comes in and he says, I've got a message from the Lord for you, a, uh, Eglon. Don't confuse Eglon with Ehud. Ehud's the deliverer. Eglon's the fat guy. And Eglon shoes everybody out of his attendance. And he even drags that corpulent little body of his out of his stand up and making himself the perfect target. And Ehud didn't lie about the message from God because the message of God was judgment. And the next thing he felt was the point of a foot and a half long dagger. And then the scheme was he raced out of there um, unknown, and you know the rest. And I'll, I'll, I'll let you, I'll leave the rest of the details for you to be embarrassed over. I'm not embarrassed about it. I see this is a display, once again, of a very unique and creative God providing redemption for a very unworthy people. Um, folks, what we have in this text these three little stories is a very unusual a very unusual people using very unusual weapons to accomplish a very unusual result and all of that is supposed to remind us of the real deliverer you see guys as exciting as the story about Ehud might be to you Ehud judged his his period of reign was temporary and ultimately, Ehud, nor Othniel, nor Shamgar could ever address the real problem because the real problem was the depravity of man's heart. And Othniel, nor Ehud, nor Shamgar could ever reach in and rip out the idols to which the heart had committed itself. None of those guys could ever change a heart of stone for a heart of flesh. They're just limited in their deliverance ability. But though their hands could never exchange a heart of flesh for a heart of stone, there are another set of hands that have nail holes in them. And he can do that work. A permanent work eternal, everlastingly complete work. But oh my goodness, ladies and gentlemen, what an unusual deliverer is he! Even heaven didn't understand what God was up to when he sent Gabriel with a message to Mary. What, what is he doing? We, we, we can't understand why is he doing what he's doing. And, and I want to suggest to you, ladies and gentlemen, that even Satan was perplexed. Not even you, Jehovah, 
would go to this extreme. But he does. He sends not an angel. He sends not Ehud. But he sends the very person of the Trinity with which he shares a father-son relationship, a very unusual, unpredictable deliverer to accomplish what must be accomplished. And he places in his hands this marvelous filling and indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes out and accomplishes, oh my goodness, he accomplished the salvation of his people who didn't deserve one iota of that deliverance. Hearts still gripped in their own depravity. Hearts that still chased after other gods and loved their sin. And what is, what is this new deliverer do? He indeed changes hearts of stone for a heart of flesh and grants us his Holy Spirit by which we might become new and different people. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the deliverance to which we are pointed by three fallible deliverers. But what we have hold of, what we have access to, is a very unusual Savior with very uncommon equipment to save a very unlikely people like you. Oh my goodness. The extremes to which God will go to accomplish your deliverance. Is all we can do is, is yawn at that? Oh, that's a very nice thing, Jimmy. I've heard that before. What's for supper? Ladies and gentlemen, the focus of all of our eyes are supposed to be on. Not how wicked we are. Because we are. Aren't we? But our eyes are to be focused on what a grand deliverer Jehovah has provided. Jesus Christ, whose accomplishment we celebrate in this sacrament. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we understand that there is um, much we don't know, much we have failed yet understand about the magnitude of love and grace that is showered on us in Jesus Christ. Father, it's a funny thing how people can be saved, born-again believers and not be enjoying the love of God. Might we be different, O oh God? Might I be different? I want to enjoy it. I want to glory in it. I want to relish the thought that I can be a lap dog in the lap of the Heavenly Father. 
That's where I want to stay. That's where I want to remain. And I do not want to distance myself one inch from the cross. So, Father, we as a group of people, we are headed back to the cross this morning in this sacrament. We are going back there to get closer. We are going back there to lay a firmer hold on the cross. Remind us of this grand work of redemption, not the one that we have yawned over so many months in the past, but the one that thrills us and ignites us and propels us to newer heights of consecrated living. Father, we, we believe that when these sacraments are taken accompanied by faith, that Jesus Christ spiritually ministers to us. We bring our faith back to the surface of our spiritual beings so that we can lay hold all over again of the glorious deliverer whose name is Jesus. And we pray in that name.